Check out sponsor Aviatrix's flight training to learn about multi-cloud networking and security from the Aviatrix perspective. Aviatrix.com slash flight dash training. Worth your time if you're defining your company's multi-cloud strategy or want to nail down your Aviatrix certified engineer cert. Aviatrix.com slash flight dash training. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we're going to have a marketing discussion. Well, we're kind of going to have a marketing discussion. <laughs> we're, we're chatting with uh, Emily O'Meer. She is a positioning consultant, and she works with open source communities about how to get the word out to the world about this open source project, what it is, what's being built, why you should care about that. Because, uh, Ned, if we're honest here, people that are engineers like us uh, doing things that are marketing related and talking about ourselves and the things that we build, we're not good at that, are we? I feel dirty saying the word marketing. There it goes. It's like saying sales. It's just if you want to clear a room, that's how you do it. (laughs) But the thing is, if you want people to know about your awesome project you got to let them know. And that's not necessarily marketing. That That's helping out people who might have a problem. So that's one of the things that we focus on in this episode with Emily. So enjoy the show with Emily O'Meer of Emily O'Meer Consulting. She is a positioning consultant, and she can help out you and your project. Emily, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And uh, in a sentence or two, would you introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you do? Sure. So I am Emily. And I help companies, particularly companies that are building uh, around an open source product or have a product that is in the cloud native ecosystem, communicate their value in a way that makes people understand what the heck it is that they do, preferably immediately, not after 15 to 20 minutes of talking or reading through the docs. (laughs) <laughs> now that sounds suspiciously like marketing, Emily. And and in fact, I had a working title for this this show of marketing your open source project. And then you're like, no, that is a bad idea. Marketing is a dirty word in open source. And and, and I laughed at that because I do know what you mean. But we got to get into this. Why is marketing looked down on so much? So people have a bad impression about marketing because there's a certain amount of marketing that's done poorly. So if marketing is done well, you don't really notice it because it just feels like somebody trying to help you understand what this product is. And and often, you know, in this space, in in the the case of, say, an open source project, it's somebody trying to help you upskill yourself and uh, offering you like tutorials and and showing you how to do something. Uh, People don't generally think of that as marketing, but it is. The reason that marketing has a bad rap is because uh, some marketing is done poorly and it feels like really, you know, really Ill, inelegant way to shove something down your throat that you don't really want and you don't really need. That's not what good marketing is, but it is some people's like association with marketing. Yeah, I think my association with marketing is you're trying to sell me something and you're like actively trying to sell me something. And it sounds like what you're saying is marketing should be more of a helpful hand. Here's a guide or, or, or a way to solve a problem you have. Is, is that the tack that you take when you're talking to these companies about their marketing? Yeah. And, you know, position is actually more about more than just marketing. It's pretty high level marketing and sales strategy uh, that actually bleeds also quite a bit into product development. So it's not even just marketing that I help with. But yes, so best practice, you know, honestly, this goes for any type of product, uh, not just uh, something that's aimed at software engineers. 
you don't want to just try to shove something down people's throats. You want to be clear about who needs it so that you're only talking to those people. This is, I mean, this is what I, what I help people do. Be clear about who needs it. So you're talking to those people and then like communicate in a way that makes it easy for that person to understand why they need it and why they should care. If you can do that, it's not going to feel like marketing. It's just going to feel like you helping them. And there's such a big difference between that approach and what so many marketers that that do it, I, I would describe it as by the book, uh, tend to do. They glom onto buzzwords and keywords and search engine optimization and trying to pull people in with some... I get so many pitches in my inbox from marketing folks and PR folks who are trying to share a press release, let's say. You read two or three paragraphs of it, and you have as little idea of what is actually being announced after reading it as you did from just reading the headline because it's obfuscated and buried in jargon and lingo that is is utterly meaningless. And especially for technical people, it is maddening when you read that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you should be able to understand what it's about from the headline. Right, not not 15 minutes of reading. And you're like, I just read four pages and I still don't know what your product does. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that should never happen. I mean, it should be... Whether we're talking about a press release or a website or, you know, somebody talking to you, like we're talking like one sentence is all it should take to really make it clear what it, what the thing is mm. and hopefully why it matters too. I mean, what it is, why it matters. You say one sentence. And so you, I think like you, you mentioned earlier, you have to tell people what your project d- does or your product does, but that means you have to understand what it is your project or product actually does. How often do folks writing the software or making the product actually understand that portion of things? So here's the challenge is that often somebody will start uh, an open source project. I'll go ahead and focus on open source projects. And they have a particular goal in mind. They have a particular problem that they're solving. And this is awesome. You know, often it's not even just one person. They create something that's that's awesome and it and it fixes that problem. And then they, you know, open it up to the world. And often what happens is that people start using it for ways that they didn't in initially intend. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, and in fact, quite often, it, it turns out that these sort of unintended uses are actually more prevalent out there than what the, the team or the person originally had in mind. So that's the first thing. If you get too fixated on sort of what your original vision is, you can miss out on these other ways that the software could be used. And you can end up missing the ability to connect with a lot of people because you aren't able to recognize that your project could do something other than what you originally envisioned. So that's the first thing. I just felt challenged there because when you build something, you have an expectation of how it's going to be used because you built it to solve a problem that you have probably. And then if people start doing other things, you're like, no, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what that's supposed to do. Don't don't do that. That's the instinct to embrace the what you think of as odd or unusual use cases is uh, it's counterintuitive. It's not it's it's like that's not what that's supposed to do. Please don't do that. Well, you know, if you have one, per, if you have, you know, a thousand users and one person is using it in some edge case, 
use case, like ignore that. That's, that's normal. Um, but if you built it to do X and it turns out that, you know, 75% of your users are using it for Y, that's something that you need to know. And, and that, that happens more frequently than I think a lot of people are really aware of. And then the other thing is, you know, sometimes it's like, it's like shades just because you, there might be like a middle ground between X and Y and you might just need to make a relatively small adjustment in how you're communicating about this project to make it sort of fit what people are actually using it for. All right. You said communicating, you know, so we've decided in the open source project context, we're not going to say marketing. So we're going to say, we're going to say communicating about our open source project. All right. This may sound like a sort of an obtuse question, but, but why, why am I actually doing this communication? Am I, am I trying to attract users? What, what am I trying to achieve here? Uh, well, actually that's a good question to ask yourself. So in my experience, most open source, most maintainers or people who create an open source project, they do want to build a community. Uh, now, if you don't care, if, if you really don't care, like how many users you get, or how, you know, whether or not anybody other than yourself ultimately contributes to this project. It doesn't matter, honestly. The fact is that that's not the case for most open source projects. And so if you do care for whatever reason, and almost everybody does, whether it's, you know, just one lone developer in their garage or like Comcast, there's usually some sort of strategic reason for Comcast to want their open source project to have users, just like there's usually some reason the lone developer in their garage also wants more users and more contributors. Right. So how would I go about raising awareness of my project, assuming I do care and I want to build a community or you know maybe someday monetize this open source project? What would be the first steps, assuming I figured out what my solution or what my project actually does? <laughs> uh, what's the next step in that process? Ned, you said monetize. Come on, man. That's the other dirty word, isn't it? It, it the is. The M words, the well, M words in open source. We, we can talk about that in a moment. But first, I, like, I'm just curious about the, the, first, the first step after <laughs> going, okay, I know what my thing does, or at least what people want it to do. Now, now what do I do next? Right. So the key is you have to tell people about it. And in fact, this actually comes before you figure out like what the best way to describe your product, your project is you, you need to start talking to people about it. I mean, this should seem like fairly obvious, but in fact, it isn't like people sometimes think that they're just going to put something up on GitHub and it's just going to be magic and they don't have to talk about it at all. And that, that isn't true. I mean, Communication is, it's everything. It could be just like sending an email to everybody you know, who, you know, all your old colleagues or all your current colleagues who you think might use this project or putting something on social media or starting a medium blog or starting a, you know, a real blog or starting a website that for this project. But you have to, you have to talk about it, you know, whether that's in written form or going on podcasts or things like that you have to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people too. And that is how you're going to understand what's resonating and what isn't. So if you go on a podcast, you're not going to get that 
that feedback about whether or not the way that you're describing your project makes sense in the same way that you do if you're talking with somebody, you know, one-on-one or, you know, to two people and you're talking about the project. So, so one-on-one as in testing to make sure that your communication is getting across the message you're trying to get across. Exactly. So if you're having a conversation with somebody and, you know, they, they meet the, the general, they're in this sort of general universe that uh, of somebody who would, you would think of as, as a user of someone who would get value out of your project and they don't get it. Like if it's taking you like 15, 20 minutes and they're still kind of like, don't really understand uh, what, what this is. That's a red flag. I mean, that means that you, there's something that's, that's not working about how you're describing this project. Uh, you don't want to have to tell them like, oh, go, go check it out. And, and then we'll talk. No, I mean, at, at the beginning that might happen, but you do want to be able to have them be almost immediately like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Although that can be obscured by, if it's a domain specific sort of a project, like this is something that helps Kubernetes do X and you maybe have an idea of what Kubernetes is, but if you're not into it, I mean, some of the domain specific projects around Kubernetes that deal with some esoteric function, you're like, <laughs> I don't know. But well, I- this, this is why it's so important to know who you should be talking to, because if that person, I mean, you know, if you're talking to like your dry cleaner, they're not going to understand what your open source project does. Obvious. But if you're talking to somebody who you think should be like a potential user, they should understand. And, you know, it it doesn't matter if it's a domain specific because you should be like, we're only really talking to people who have that domain specific knowledge if you're doing it right. If you're thinking critically about, you know, who should be and who's who's a potential user and who isn't. Actually, I, I will I will add something here. Um, I notice when people talk about stuff like developer marketing and uh, things like that, I notice there's sometimes a tendency to talk about all software engineers as if they are like one homogenous mass. And uh, this is a mistake, obviously, because there's like so many different subdomains within software engineering that yes, it is very easy to talk to another software engineer who still like is absolutely not a potential user for your project and will have no clue what you're talking about. Well, as in there's front-end developers, back-end developers, UI specialists, infrastructure specialists, and so on? Yeah, networking specialists, security specialists, all sorts of, you know, there's storage engineers and, you know, it's just, it goes sort of on and on and on. And then we get into the thing with there's people who are Kubernetes experts, people who never use Kubernetes. Um, So you just have to know like be clear about who your project is for. And if you're talking to that person, they need to understand if you're talking to someone who doesn't fit that, that profile, they might not get it. There's a feature on Hacker News called Show Hacker News, uh, show HN colon, and then you can talk about your project. And uh, some people do that really well, what you're describing, where in the paragraphs of whatever it is they're showing to the Hacker News community, they clearly delineate it. And you kind of get it, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, you should poke around at that or like, nope, not me. Other folks, Mm -hmm. it's like they have this problem that you're describing where they're showing and you get to the end of it. I still don't really get what this thing is that it's supposed to do, but... Just just a good case in point, because I see those all the time, people showing off their projects there via that show HN feature. It is a great way 
to get feedback from a community of interested folks about what you're doing. And uh, although I don't know that that's communication testing as such, it's more like user acceptance testing in that kind of a, a <laughs> setting, but still. That's it's still a, it's a type of communication, and that that goes to my point about like you got to talk about it because it, that it can be it can be a barrier to people just because they're afraid of rejection or whatever. Then so ultimately their project goes nowhere because they're not talking about it, so no one ever finds out that it exists. Right for me, I don't like talking about myself a lot, and and to like promote a project or something I'm working on feels like I don't I don't know what the right word is maybe bragging or just being too much about yourself and so I, I would tend to turn that dial down but what you're saying is you do have to talk about it you have to be open about it if you want to build that project up and have people be aware of it are there some ways that you can do that without feeling like it's self-aggrandizing yeah I mean the when it comes to both marketing and sales, like ultimately the best practice is that you shouldn't even think of it as being about you. You should think about as being about the potential user. What are the problems that they have and how are you helping to solve them? And if you think, I mean, let's, we'll talk about mindset first and then like how that actually translate. But if you are thinking about, you know, talking about your project. And instead of thinking, oh, I really want people to use my project, please use my project, use my project. <laughs> and instead of thinking that you're thinking, I, you know, I spent a bunch of time to create this thing and it solves a real problem that people have, you know, here's the problem that it solves specifically. I bet there's a bunch of people out there that are struggling with this problem and I can help them. If only they know about this, I can solve their problem. It makes it not about what you and what you desire, but how you can help this, this other potential user. Uh, that's a very different place to, to be coming from. And it can actually, you know, just from a mindset perspective can really change how you even think about your marketing and and if you do sales, like how you do sales. I was just going to say, it's it's also a sales technique. They can't say yes, unless you have the conversation with them. You're, mm -hmm. you're definitely never going to sell anything if you never talk <laughs> about the product and try to get it sold. So yep, exactly. got to and, have that conversation. And it should be about, you know, the potential user, the potential customer and what they need, not the fact that you want, you know, more downloads. So let's talk more about communication strategy then. How does an open source project craft their message? You've mentioned earlier the one sentence approach. You should at least be able to compartmentalize what the project does clearly in a sentence. But we got to go beyond that though. You you need to be able to communicate beyond that one sentence in more detail what it does, the problem it solves, how it might fit into your workflows if it's a, a technical product. And how do you get that value clearly communicated? First, I wanted to say, you know, if you have just open sourced a project, like you just press a button, you're going to need to iterate. You're going to need to to do a little bit of of figuring out to to understand what the best way to talk about your project is going to be. This also isn't something that can be done entirely without feedback. You can you can get closer with, with without any actual user feedback, but but you do need to actually like talk to people in your potential user community. Once you have a handful of users, the, the first thing is to talk to them and figure out 
A, what are they actually using it for? What are the things that they actually value about the project? And then uh, this is the key. Uh, what would they do if your product didn't exist? And sometimes people think about, well, particularly in the commercial world, they get really obsessed with like their competitor. We have like these two competitors over here. And sometimes, you know, usually your competitor, like, like the thing that you lose deals to, or, you know, the, the thing that causes somebody to not download your open source project, um, it's doing nothing. It's just the, the status quo. That's your big competitor whether it's an open source project or whether it's, you know, commercial. Um, so you have to figure out what does that status quo mean? Is the status quo acceptable? Is there some other way that they were solving this problem before? Often there is, you know, maybe they were tracking stuff on a spreadsheet. Maybe, you know, they were manually doing whatever it was. You, usually the, those are the sort of things that you're replacing with your project or with your, or, or with your commercial product, you know, writing a bunch of custom scripts, doing something manually, tracking it on a, with an Excel spreadsheet. It's not, it's, it's less frequent that you're like actually bumping out another product or even another like open source project. So you want to understand that because then that's going to help you understand what value it is you that that your project provides and also like what context you want to put around your project in order for people to understand it. And think about in contrast to these things that that people would do if your project didn't exist. What what sort of value are you providing? Uh, it might not be like easier or cheaper. Often it isn't but often it is faster or it is more secure or it's more reliable, things like that. Um, so when you, when you hear like easy or cheap, you think, hmm, is this easier than doing it in Excel or is it easier than doing nothing? Usually it's not easier than doing nothing. And so if people are like currently solving this problem by not solving it and doing nothing, you don't want to talk about how easy your thing is to use because they'll be like, it's just not easier than doing nothing. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing's pretty easy. I just don't do it. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so once once you sort of figure that out, uh, then you can start uh, figuring out what 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 one sentence, what like label you can slap on your project that's going to make this this value that you provide fairly obvious, and it's going to make it clear what use case you're most appropriate for. And that's kind of the process. I'm rudely cutting into this conversation to ask you where you're at with your multi-cloud networking strategy. Because a few different multi-cloud networking vendors, they've come on as podcast guests and they've shared their approach here on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. One of those vendors is today's sponsor, Aviatrix. And in fact, you heard from Aviatrix engineers and a customer as Ned and I nerded out with them on the Day 2 Cloud Podcast, episode number 113. We covered their data plane that's common across all the different clouds, giving you consistent network operations. Now... If Aviatrix isn't a company name you know very well, don't just blow them off. I challenge you to consider all vendors that might solve your problems. And Aviatrix is going out of their way to make it easy for you to include them in your upcoming multi-cloud networking bake-off. First, they are well-funded, so they're going to be around for a long time. Tell your boss Aviatrix just closed a $200 million Series E funding round if you get asked. Second, 
Aviatrix is also offering nerdy deep dives for you, the engineer, so that you can make an informed, nuanced decision about whether Aviatrix is the right multi-cloud networking strategy for your organization. They call it flight training, and you can go for a 90-minute hands-on lab, a five-hour deeper instructor-led hands-on experience, and even prep for the Aviatrix Certified Engineer Certification. So give Day 2 Cloud Episode 113 a listen. And then visit aviatrix.com slash flight dash training to find out more. I'm hoping to take the five-hour flight school training sometime myself soon if they can find room for me. Again, that is aviatrix.com slash flight dash training and let them know you heard about it on the Packet Pushers podcast network. And now back to today's episode. There's a central theme here in the way you've described this, Emily, which is putting yourself in the position of the person consuming your product. Think about it from their perspective. You built it. You know what it is and what problem it solves for you. But now imagine you'd never heard of this project uh, or product. You put yourself in the shoes of that person. Think about it as they would be thinking about it, seeing it for the first time, and then fill in the blanks that are created at that moment. Yes, exactly. Because that's the person that, you know, that person is coming at this project. They have no baggage. They don't have, you know, like all this explanation, all your rationale for why it was created in the first place. But they are the, I mean, that is the person that you want to be convincing to to use it. Does this also translate to like a venture capital pitch? If I want to go try to get funding to really make my, my big project go even bigger, would all of that legwork be helpful there? Oh, definitely. I mean, ultimately, like you, you want your VC to understand what the heck your product does too, or, or your project. There are some differences. First of all, you know, in sort of a product positioning or, pro- or open source project a scenario, you do want to be very specific about the problem that you're solving and you want it to be for a relatively narrow number of people because like you want to be extremely specific about who is in and who is out of your target user criteria. And ultimately you want to get pretty narrow so that you can really speak directly to that situation. I will say like sometimes VCs like you to be extremely broad and have this like giant vision about how you're going to be Google and you're going (laughs) to, you know, make everyone better, you know, make the whole, like totally revolutionize the whole world. But from an actual like strategy, like business strategy perspective, you do not want to try to be Google in your first year of business. That is a terrible idea. You want to focus on something extremely specific. And and that's, you know, that's part of what positioning is, is becoming like extremely focused on a very narrow set of problems that a very specific set of people experience. So you can like really talk to them in all of your communication, really be clear about how this problem manifests itself, what sort of words they use to talk about their problem and what they expect in a solution. I think it's important to avoid scope creep in your project because uh, like you mentioned before, some people are going to have edge cases and they're going to want to apply your product in different ways. And having that sort of almost mission statement of this is what my project does. This is what it's intended for. can help guide that or contain that scope creep. But then you also mentioned sometimes people are going to use it in novel ways that are actually good and may change that direction. So when do I know I should veer off in this other direction a little bit 
and not consider it scope creep on my project? Well, you know, it's all about like sort of scale. So again, if you have a hundred, let's say you have a hundred users and five of them are using it, the, the project in some weird way. And those five are like, man, they're not super active users. Uh, you ignore them. Now, let's say that you have a hundred users and you have 10 who are really active with your project. They're like, they're, they've become contributors. They're like fixing bugs. They're becoming, you know, really integral parts of the community. And let's say all of those 10 users, the, the users who are like really extremely sort of true believers in your project, they're all using it in a way that's different from what you intended. And it's all the same, like they're using it in the same way, but it's all different from what the way that you originally intended. That's something that you should pay attention to for sure. So you do have to pay attention to sort of the quality of the users that we're talking about. I mean, if they're real true believers, if all of your true believers are using it for one purpose, that's probably the purpose you want your open source project to be like promoted for. Right. It sounds like it reminds me very much of the DevOps principles of, you know, rapid iteration, listening to the feedback that you're getting from maybe the operations team, which is almost like your users and your potential contributors. And what's very unique about an open source project versus something closed source from a vendor is people can contribute. They can comment. You can see how many polls you're getting of the software. If I want to try to convert some of those people consuming the project into contributors, is there a, a way to go about getting them into the contributor mind space instead of just using the product? So that is not really my specialty. There's all sorts of people who have like, you know, community management specialty. It's, <laughs> I, I actually don't think that it's rocket science. I mean, it's part of it is like, knowing you know who has become a contributor already and how do you attract more people who are like them that i mean that is what i do right i help you attract more people who are like the contributors that you already have so that you're sort of attracting this like higher quality pool of users already um, but then there's all sorts of other techniques like creating a welcoming environment like personally inviting everybody to contribute when they um when they first become part of the community, having good documentation, all of those things make it more likely that somebody is going to become a contributor. And those are not related to positioning. You said documentation, one of my very favorite words. And, and this can be a tough one for open source projects because too busy building features, documentation is like, yeah, I'm going to get to that at some point. But uh, but it can be hard for the people that are writing the code to also spend a lot of time on good user-focused, consumer-focused sorts of documentation. So how do you think from a communication standpoint, a um, you know, enlisting and building your community, what role does documentation play? Oh, I mean, documentation is really important because you need people to be able to understand really well how to use your project. I mean, it's not always self-evident just from downloading the project itself, how you're supposed to use, what, what the architecture is meant to be like, even things like, you know, what, when it's going to work and when it's going to not work, what situation it is and is not appropriate for. That that's really really important, and it helps people not become frustrated. I mean, honestly, like you just don't want people to get frustrated, and 
you want to make it as easy as possible for them to sort of self-serve. So ultimately, that's what documentation is all about. You don't want them to have to ask you a question. Can I just say if your idea of documentation is a cryptic man page, stop. Don't do Stop it. <laughs> that's not enough. A man page is great, uh, you know, depending on what your tool is, if that's even an appropriate thing. But my word, I've written, read some man pages like, yeah, I still don't. I still don't know. <laughs> but well-written documentation that actually explains not what a command line switch does, not what a checkbox does, but context around the tool and how you're meant to treat it and what it does for you in a big picture way, and then dives into the details. You kind of, you get grounded first, and then you can go to the details. That That is good documentation, and it is it is hard to come across that that sort of documentation a lot of times. That you mentioned a big picture uh, because the, I, I think of big picture as sort of what I what I specialize in doing, and I find that a lot of the the people I work with aren't very good at big picture. They're really good at like details and really zooming out and f- talking about the context that their project is part of. That's what they often find challenging, and th- and that's what ultimately ends up preventing a lot of them from communicating effectively about it is because people need that context. And yes, you know, even if your audience is just as technical as you are, everybody needs context in order to understand anything, honestly, but they, you know, they need context to figure out how your project fits into their workflow, uh, what it should and should not be used for. And provide that context in the docs and any other place possible. Is it possible, Emily, to attract the wrong sort of either contributor or maybe community member to your project if you get the communications wrong? And and if so, how do we avoid that? Yeah, it's funny. You know, when you say you're like wrong type of contributor, it's like, yeah, you know, if you got a jerk, like, eh. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) You can have jerks who are like actually the good type of contributor. So uh, by which I mean, they fit the criteria of sort of your ideal user, just because they fit that criteria doesn't necessarily mean they will not be jerks. But yeah, you know, it totally is the the wrong type of contributor would just be somebody who's trying to push your project in a way that it shouldn't go. And this is especially bad if you have like numerous contributors who are all trying to push your project in a way in like different ways that it should not go that can be particularly bad and and stressful for anyone who's trying to sort of maintain this project you know keep it on sort of the the focused path that that you were going on the way to avoid that type of situation is just being really clear about what it is that you're trying to solve and and you know who you're trying to solve it for communicating that really clearly, having it written down so that if somebody says, you know, we want to do X, it's very easy to point to, look, here's our mission statement that that we have, you know, written down and that is public. And uh, this does not jive with that mission statement. This does not move that mission forward. So we're going to not do it. It is much easier to to say that if you have documentation, if it's not just in your head, what, what your mission is. You know, that is 
one of my absolute favorite things in the world is documentation. I think Ethan and I are both on, on the same page about that. And clear, well-written docs that explain the project and also get you started with some real-world examples and get you started quickly so you don't feel like you're just floundering through marketing fluff is is so important. But sometimes the people writing the software are not necessarily the best people to write those docs. <laughs> so do you recommend reaching out to the community or finding someone else who's a technical writer to to help you with that portion of things? I mean, there are like, there's a whole subspecialty of people who specialize in writing docs. So yes, if it's if it's something you absolutely can't do, find somebody who can. Chances are, I think that most people can, uh, they just don't make time. And then I, I would say, you know, it, it also depends, honestly, like how mature is this project? Is there this, are you just one person? You know, is this like a well-funded project by a fortune 500 company? Uh, there are different, different levels of resources. And in the situation where there's plenty of funding. Yeah. You should get somebody who specializes in writing docs and like that should be the person writing the docs. And you should probably have somebody like me helping you figure out exactly what message you're, you're going to put out in the documentation and how you're going to write your mission statement. Yeah. If you're just one person, yeah, you know, you should do your best. <laughs> right. At least put the effort in. <laughs> put, put the effort in. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. You know, I, I think with a lot of things, it's like, just trying, just making the effort sort of puts you ahead of the pack. Right. With leadership, uh, Emily, it's really, if this, if it's your project, you're one of the leaders, this is your baby. This is the thing you've been bringing to the world. H how important is it to be a strong leader that keeps that project on track? Cause we were talking about that wrong sort of contributor, or we've heard about, kerfuffles within open source projects where some groups like this isn't going the way we want. And so they fork the project and then start something else because it's like, this is the way it should go. And you know, it feels like sometimes, you know, such a, such an event is fine. And sometimes it's like, that was actually dramatic. And it was a, an argument between people that they couldn't resolve. And maybe that was a communications breakdown. So going back to leadership, if I am a strong leader, I'm assertive. I am, maybe I'm the benevolent dictator for life sort of a role how does the communication factor into that? If I want to, if I want to take that role, should I be communicating and in what way to my community? So there's, there's a lot of levels to this question. I think, first of all, when it comes to positioning you, if you are sort of the leader, your identity can get sort of wrapped up in this project and what it is. And sometimes that is the, is a barrier to effective communication because if people aren't getting it or if people are using it in a novel way, sometimes because the leader's identity is so wrapped up in what this project was supposed to do when they originally designed it, they can't, they're like extremely resistant to change. And then the, the next thing that you're talking about is this sort of when, when there's an argument and like what type of leader should you be? I think you just need to be clear, like this is where the project is going. And in the case of an open source project, you know, if somebody else feels really strongly that there should also be, it should also go in some other direction. Honestly, I think that that's okay. I think that 
as the leader, you should be clear, like, this is where I think that this project should go. If you want to fork it and start something new, I actually don't see a problem with that. I mean, obviously there's like some interpersonal skills that you should, you should think about to make that not, not (laughs) painful, but yeah, you know, that's fine. Maybe somebody else sees another problem that they think should be addressed. In fact, actually, I think it is better to do that than to try to try to do too many things with one project. So I would I would rather see projects, you know, getting getting forked, having having these divorces between communities so that they can really effectively address a problem. And instead of just trying to do 100 things with one project. Well, let's talk about tools a bit, Emily. Now, we said before the show that you didn't really have much opinion on tools, but yet it is sort of implied in this that we are using some sort of communications tools to uh, to chat with different folks. For example, GitHub and, and uh, GitLab and you know other things like that pop up as ways that we can get our open source tool out there and share with people and they can do pull requests and there's comment threads and, you know, and all the rest. Do, do you have, is there a prescribed have to way to, to get your open source project published? From my perspective? No. I mean, just, just get it out there. I, I mean, when it comes to communication, my feeling is that the tools you use don't matter as much as what you're saying. So don't stress out about what, what tool you're using. I mean, there, there's a little bit here, like you do want to think about like where, what, what tools your potential users are, are already familiar with. And that is important. Um, it's important both in, you know, choosing how to publish your open source project. It's also important when you think about like what to integrate it with or what to, what it should depend on. It's, you know, when you think about promoting, like, well, do your target users use Twitter? Well, if yes, maybe you should use Twitter. If no, maybe you shouldn't, you know, you just, you want to think about like, where do your, where do your target users like actually hang out? And that's where you want to be. But it's, it's not so much like, you know, that X tool is superior. You can also get into a situation where you try to push your message out on too many platforms and you find yourself overtaxed. So like, do you have a recommendation on the number of platforms you should go down? Or does that depend on the size of the project and how many people you have on like your communications team? It totally depends on the size of the project and how many people you have on their on your team. I mean, again, if you have tons of resources, like, gosh, why not just I wouldn't actually even say like, go all in on all channels. I think like maybe two is probably good, but yeah, you know, if you're, if you've got a giant team and you've got a ton of resources, that's one thing. And if you don't, I mean, that's another, Um, but that's why it's so important to focus. Like if you're really focused, it's going to be a lot easier to get traction. Even if you're just one person, than if you're not really focused. So if you're really, really focused, really specific on who you're trying to reach, um, then getting traction is going to be a lot easier. Now, if we talk about chat platforms, like so many projects, oh, we've got an IRC, we've got a Slack or a Discord, et cetera. Do, do you think a real-time chat platform is important for community interaction, community growth? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it is. Uh, there's probably someone out there who's an expert on this. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, it almost seems like a... 
like a given, like it's expected. But then on the flip side of it, like I'm in, I'm in a, a few different Slack groups that are that are community community oriented. Sometimes there's really interesting conversations that are happening there. Sometimes it's completely dead. In all cases, you've got to moderate. You've got to pay attention to what's going on and deal with those trouble users, deal with the drive-by marketers who fly in because they want to spam your community with their products and that's inappropriate. And so there's definitely a burden that comes with it. So I'm I'm with you. It's a... I have the opinion that there's value because people within the community make a connection around your product, uh, whatever that might be. But the the, the trade off is the time you have to invest as a as a project or community leader in interacting with that group. They can self police to some degree, but you got to be in there. You got to be involved if if you lead that. And if you don't have that kind of time, that can be tough. You know, and I think I'm going to say this again. I keep talking about focus. But this is another area where actually having almost almost a smaller community can be better, especially if you're, you know, just one person, you don't necessarily want a giant community, you want a community that has a high percentage of true believers. And then that helps your community um, grow because, you know, the true believers are going to be able to help you with moderation, et cetera. You know, those are the people that are more likely to be contributors, et cetera. And so that can help you grow sort of organically as opposed to getting a giant community with like, you know, a bunch of sort of not not super committed users. Yeah, that Then that makes managing something like a Slack like way more burdensome. What's your take on building content around your project, like uh, like like starting a podcast or YouTube? Which is, I mean, we're all podcasters here, so that's you know, it's easy for us to say, yeah, start a podcast. But we also know how difficult that is. And the same thing with a YouTube channel. You can build a YouTube channel, but the creating content that's out there regularly is hard. So how does that fit into your communication strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my background is in content marketing, so I'm I'm pro content in all in, in all of its forms. Um, but yeah, you know, I, the the thing that I would say is just like you you want to do something, but you don't want to do it all. So you know, pick something. And if podcasting makes sense to you, um, actually, I, I don't think that podcasting makes tons of sense often for like promoting an open source project. I do think things like, you know, video tutorials that can make total sense. Blog posts are usually, those are kind of the two things that I would say, like webinar, webinar style videos and blogs. Those are the things that I would recommend if you're going to do content marketing for an open source project. Right, right. The, like start, start there. Yeah. The podcast seems to make sense long after your project has taken off and reach it, reach something like Kubernetes scale. Cause there's a whole bunch of Kubernetes podcasts but that's that happened after the fact after the project was wildly successful (laughs) yeah Yeah, and there is you know when you're talking about promoting an open source project often there's like stuff that people want to see so and like an audio only format isn't the best so it's harder to like you know talk about exactly what you're doing in the code when you can't like actually show people right right well let's say that i am you know, I either have an open source project that I want to grow or I'm thinking about starting one. Can you distill it down to a few key takeaways for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. 
So um, first one is think about what problem you're solving from your user's point of view, not just from your point of view. Pay attention to who your true believers are and what they're using your project for. Make sure that you can describe your project in a sentence. And when you're talking to somebody who should get it, who is a potential user, make sure that they, are under, they understand what you mean in that one sentence. And then the, the last one is, you know, make sure that you're aware of not just the features that your project has, but also why those features matter, which is like what value do they provide to your user? We talk a lot, a lot about value in sort of a business sense, but there's, there's technical value too, you know, that makes it faster, more reliable, et cetera. So connect it, not just to, not just sort of technical outcomes, but also sort of more value for, for the user. Awesome. Good takeaways. If, uh, if folks want to follow you or get more content from you, uh, where can they go? Uh, I think you've got a few things you'd like to promote. Yeah. So, um, go to emilyomir.com. I have a blog that's about positioning open source. It is called positioning open source. You can actually go to positioningopensource.com and it will redirect you to my blog. And uh, then I also have a podcast called Cloud Native Startup uh, that is about uh, founder stories. I, I talk to a lot of founders in the cloud native ecosystem about sort of the journey that they've been on, what they've learned, uh, mistakes that they made. Um, in in the the process of building a company, so check that out. It's called Cloud Native Startup, and yeah, I'll be speaking at Open Source Summit and uh, Container Days here coming up in September. I'm sure by the time this publishes, that will have happened. But uh, listeners can go find the video of my talk. And uh, what else? Yeah, if you want to work with me, I usually work with companies that are building a commercial open source company or, and, or I should say, are in the, the cloud native or Kubernetes, the Kubernetes uh, ecosystem. So if you want to work with me, just send me a message through my website. It's pretty easy. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. That's all at emilyomir.com. And, uh, and thanks, Emily, for being on the show today. You're, you're West Coast, which puts, this is like the six or seven o'clock hour for you. So thanks for coming on the microphone first thing in the morning. And if you're listening out there, because I guess if you're listening, you're hearing this. Hey, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. Awesome human. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. Hit Ned or I up on Twitter. We're both monitoring at Day2CloudShow. Or, hey, fill out the form at Ned's fancy website, NedInTheCloud.com. Quick bit of housekeeping, packet pushers. We have a weekly newsletter here at the Podcast Network, Human Infrastructure Magazine. Human Infrastructure Magazine is loaded with the very best stuff we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free and it doesn't suck. The whole idea is you're just going to get in a one week a distilled version of what's going on in the tech industry. Get the next issue for free, packetpushers.net slash newsletter. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 